Hey folks, Andy Patton here. Selection Sunday is over and the Zags are officially the number one overall seed out west playing in Portland on Thursday afternoon. Today is a thorough overview of the bracket while answering listener submitted questions all episode long for Mailbag Monday right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to take you through another March Madness with the Zags on top. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by Run Your Pool. March Madness is here and Run Your Pool has a better way to create your bracket. RunYourPool.com, the premier sports pool hosting service. I want to thank all of you who throughout this season have made Locked on Zags your first listen every day. Some of you have been here since the very beginning. Some of you are newer to the show. Either way, I appreciate you taking out of your time, taking time out of your day, excuse me, to listen to the show. And of course, those of you who have checked the show out on YouTube. If you have not done so yet, now is a great time with March Madness just just around the corner to go to youtube.com, search Locked on Zags, hit that subscribe button. Trying to get up to 500 subscribers before the end of the tournament. We are well on our way, but could use your help to do so. All right, today is Mailbag Monday. We're talking all things NCAA tournament, what the bracket looks like, what the rest West region is going to shake out like. This first question comes from Larry via Gmail. It's a simple one. Which teams look like the biggest hurdles for the Zags? Well, the good news for folks who are looking for some more intel on some of the teams that Gonzaga may face in the in the West region, we're familiar with all of them. For the second year in a row, the Zags are mostly potentially going to face teams that they have already played. I do not know why this happens. We'll talk about it a little bit more with additional mailbag questions, but Duke is the two seed. Texas Tech is the three seed. You got Arkansas on the four line, UConn the five line, six seed is Alabama. So three of those teams Gonzaga has played. Two of them, of course, are two of Gonzaga's only losses this season. It feels like if the committee was allowed to put St. Mary's there, they would have. (laughs) They're not allowed to per committee rules, but it seems like they really like to put teams that have given Gonzaga some trouble here on the line. Quite frankly, though, I'm not super concerned here. Duke is not playing very good basketball right now. I think matchup-wise, Duke is the toughest team here. Because uh, anybody who listened to my episode on Friday with Tristan Freeman of Busting Brackets, outstanding guest. He was fantastic. Definitely check it out if you haven't yet. One of the things he talked about was big physical bigs being a problem for Gonzaga. And certainly Mark Williams proved that to be the case the last time that they played Duke. So if they play Duke, Mark Williams is there. Paulo Bancaro obviously is a matchup nightmare for anybody who faces him. That Duke team did not have A.J. Griffin. He is healthy now and is playing incredible basketball. But this team has also been struggling. Gonzaga would not face Duke until the Elite Eight. There is a very realistic chance that Duke does not make it that far. Texas Tech, who Gonzaga beat, but who is very, very good, could quite easily upset Duke in the it, to get to the Elite Eight and play there. Alabama, this is a really good Alabama team. Obviously, Gonzaga fans have seen the best of Alabama because they played incredible in the battle in Seattle and, and secured a victory there. But 
when this Bama team is off, they can lose to just about anybody. But when this Bama team is on, they have wins over Baylor. They have wins over Auburn. They have wins over Gonzaga. This is one of this is a very, very good six-seeded team. I think it's very realistic. In fact, I, I haven't revealed my bracket yet, but I, don't be surprised if you see my bracket and you see Gonzaga playing Alabama in the Elite Eight because I think that's a really, really good team that they could run into uh, potentially yet again. Uh, Arkansas doesn't worry me all that much. Quite frankly, one of the scariest teams remaining after that is the number nine seed, Memphis, which is what I want to talk about here with this second question, which came from Not Guy Fieri on Twitter, who said, The 8 9 matchup presents challenges no matter who wins. A slow down, grinded out pace with a coach familiar with the program, or a hyper athletic, unpredictable team that presents the type of talent and explosiveness we can sometimes struggle with. Who would you rather face in round two? Yeah, so the first question is Boise State. The first team is Boise State. They're the eight seed. Memphis is the number nine seed. I would rather face Boise State. I think, first of all, the narrative story of facing Leon Rice, a former Gonzaga coach, getting an opportunity to go up against him. Where, unfortunately, we're not able to face Long Beach State, which would have put four former Gonzaga coaches into the NCAA tournament. Dan Monson's Long Beach State squad got upset by Cal State Fullerton and did not make the NCAA tournament. But Boise State is here. The Zags have a very good chance to play them. Boise State's a very good defensive team. And I think they'll, because Leon Rice is familiar with Coach Few and because they've, they, they are a good defensive team and have been all season long, I think they'll slow Gonzaga down in a fairly effective way, but they just do not have the offensive firepower to beat this team. Some of their best, Marcus Shaver is probably the best player at Boise State offensively. He was at UP for a couple of years. Gonzaga's very familiar with him. I think they have a pretty good sense of how to shut him down. He's not, you know, he's not better than Andrew Nembhard. I don't think he's going to be able to, to do a whole lot offensively. And they don't have a ton of size. They got decent size, but I don't think they have, even though they're good defensively, I don't think that they're going to have a this incredible ability to shut down Chet Holmgren or Grutimi. Few people do, quite frankly, so that's not necessarily a knock on them. But I think you, you touched on it in the question here. Explosiveness and unpredictability are the two things for Memphis. Penny Hardaway's team is really hard to pin down. Sometimes they play like a top 10 team in the country. They have these elite athletes in Amoni Bates and Jalen Duran. They're really, really good, but sometimes they play completely undisciplined. They seem to lack coaching. They sometimes seem to lack motivation. And we've seen this team go through horrific stretches of basketball where they just look borderline incompetent as a Division I basketball team. Which version of Memphis shows up is really hard to predict. Gonzaga could beat that team by a lot of points if they if they bring a disjointed kind of uncharacteristic brand of basketball. But if they come out, the explosiveness, the athleticism, I mean, these are NBA caliber dudes, like very, very good basketball players, more athletic than most of Gonzaga's, all of Gonzaga's wings, quite frankly. And if they can utilize that athleticism and play some kind of disciplined basketball where they're, they're getting stops defensively, hitting open looks offensively, they could definitely give Gonzaga some problems. I'm picking the Zags either way, and I, I'm not overly concerned about it, but if Memphis looks really good against Boise State, I would be lying if I said I wasn't going to sweat it out just a little bit when that second-round game comes around. Next question comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, By the time this airs, the field will be set. I know you'll look at this, but I'll ask it all the same. Please break down the St. Mary's, USF, and Arizona first-round opponents. Sure. Yeah, so we can go through these one by one. St. Mary's is either going to get Wyoming or Indiana. St. Mary's is a five seed. They're playing the winner of the play-in game, 12 seed between Wyoming and Indiana. 
Uh, Wyoming is dangerous. Uh, Graham Ike is really, really good. He's a great front court player, long, lanky, athletic, good at scoring around the rim. He's the kind of guy that I think could give St. Mary's some issues. Uh, Hunter Maldonado is outstanding. He's averaging 18.5 points, 6.3 assists. Really, really good stuff from Wyoming. They've been one of my favorite sleeper teams this year. I've really enjoyed watching the Cowboys, a team that I thought had a realistic chance of winning the Mountain West Conference outright, but unfortunately they did not. We're not able to do that. Still managed to find their way into the NCAA tournament. It was looking a little tenuous during Selection Sunday, but here they are. Uh, I'm less familiar with Indiana. Uh, they went under 500 in Big Ten play. They're a good defensive team. They're not a great scoring team. I think that actually helps St. Mary's because St. Mary's is obviously also a very good defensive team, uh, but St. Mary's is a slightly better scoring team. I think if St. Mary's is playing Indiana, I feel really good about their chances of securing a victory. If they're playing Wyoming, I still feel pretty good about their chances of winning that game, uh, but I think it's a little bit more of a challenge matchup-wise if they end up playing the Cowboys. Uh, Arizona's going to also get a play-in game winner. They either get Wright State or Bryant. Uh, it's not going to be an issue for Arizona. They're not going to be the second six, one team, one seed to lose to a 16 seed. It's just, it's not going to happen. Whether or not Kirk Risa is healthy, it's not going to be a problem there. Their second round game will either be Seton Hall or Texas Christian. I think those could be some interesting matchups for them there. Seton Hall's very, very good team. Uh, missing Bryce Aiken, injured guard for them, is a significant loss. TCU has been playing a lot better lately. It's also a team that got blown out by Santa Clara earlier in the season, which tells you a little bit about how far they have progressed, but also a lot about how good Santa Clara actually is. And it would have been nice if they could have been healthy early in the year enough to make the NCAA tournament. Again, I think Arizona gets through that game as well, but I think there's some interesting potential matchups there. And then San Francisco, the Dons, we was sweating that one out on Selection Sunday as well. For those of you who were watching along, they were one of the last teams announced. I was starting to get nervous that they were going to get gypped out of a uh, very obviously deserved spot in the NCAA tournament. They ended up getting a 10 seed, and they will play another mid-major darling in Murray State. A really fun game. I think it's it's. I would have liked to see San Francisco get a chance to play a Power 5 school uh, and not another mid-major because one of these teams has to lose in the first round. That's no fun because I like both of these teams. But I think this is going to be a really good game. Uh, obviously, Jamari Bouye is just so, so talented. But the big hinge for me is Yuhen Masalski and his health. If he's 100% for the Dons, I think they got a pretty good chance of pulling the upset. I've seen some of the betting lines already have San Francisco as one of the only teams that is currently a lower seed projected to win by the betting line. So I think this is going to be a really, really close game for the Dons. Final questions of the show. This one's from Motorhead on Twitter. He says, I don't get the committee's love affair with placing teams we've already played in our region. Do they think they're creating more drama? Other than Duke, I could kiss them on the lips for placing Duke in our bracket. Motorhead, my friend, you are not alone in this question. Keith Bundy at 8K Dalab on Twitter also asked, Are we wrong to be annoyed that the committee seeded our region with rematches again? I know we didn't end up with any rematches last year due to upsets, but I'm irked that the top three seeds we could meet in the Elite Eight are rematches. Yeah, I'm not really sure why this happens. I wish that I had a better answer for you. I, I, for those of you who are following along on Twitter, uh, a lot of people were asking the same question. I don't remember a lot of people having answers to this. I don't know why the committee does this. I thought Duke, frankly, did not deserve to be a two seed. So 
I don't think it's terrible that the two seed in Gonzaga's region is a team that probably should have been a three seed. I'd rather it be Duke than Tennessee, who got a three seed when they probably deserve to be a two seed. Uh, again, I mentioned Duke is still kind of scary and I think has the, the size, the talent, uh, the matchup issues to, to be a problem for Gonzaga. But yeah, last year, Kansas, Iowa, uh, Virginia were all in Gonzaga's bracket, all teams that Gonzaga played in the regular season. I do think that one point we should take away from this is that Gonzaga schedules really well. And I, we know that, but I think that if you were to, to show other people like, hey, two years in a row, the two seed and the three seed in Gonzaga's brackets were teams that they played in the non-conference slate that season. I would hope that people would have the takeaway from that being, oh, Gonzaga obviously does try to schedule good non-conference games. I'm not sure that people who who have the vendetta against Gonzaga that we know that they do are necessarily going to read into that all that much, but... I do think that it's it's a nice affirmation for the Zags that they're obviously scheduling themselves some really challenging non-conference games because the teams that they're scheduling end up being really highly rated, highly seeded teams when March rolls around. All right, we got more listener-submitted questions coming your way in the second segment. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Run Your Pool. March Madness is here. That means you need to start thinking now about where you're going to be running your brackets this year. Are you going for the usual or are you going for the best? We've done our homework here at Locked On and we're running brackets with RunYourPool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X. They have options to edit scoring and they offer more intel to make your picks. All stuff you won't find at ESPN or CBS. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help take some of that madness magic and play alongside your employees or even gain customers. Plus, they offer full customer support, custom branding, and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll ever find. Clearly, we believe in Run Your Pool because, like I said, we're running our brackets there ourselves. There is no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family. Enter Pure Madness at checkout for $10 off your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing you there. Today's episode is also brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single game pickums pits the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to have the advantage. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. Instead, Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fix. The simple, sleek gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be. Sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on for a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on, promo code locked on for a 100% match. All right, segment two, still Andy Patton, still Locked On Zags. Still want to thank you all for making Locked On Zags your first listen every day. And I want to remind you to make sure to check out the Locked On Bracket Breakdown coming out today, March 14th, right here on the Locked On Zags podcast feed and YouTube channel. College basketball expert Chris Gordy, myself, and betting expert Lee Sterling are all going to get together, give you in-depth breakdowns on every matchup in the NCAA tournament. All right, more questions to answer here in segment two. This first one comes from Christian via Gmail. Christian says, 
Unlike last year where the Baylor-Gonzaga matchup seemed to be the highly anticipated championship game, this year seems very different. Do you think the big dance will unfold in a similar way to the regular season and conference tournaments, or will the Elite Eight and Final Four be largely one and two seeds? So I think we're going to see more parity this year, but it's the, the top seeds are still very good. Like I, I don't think that we're going to see... There's not as a clear one and two the way that Gonzaga and Baylor were. But there's, I think the top eight, 12 teams are all pretty good. And it's hard for me to imagine a lot of them getting seriously upset. I, I think we're, we're probably going to see a Final Four that's generally top 10-ish teams. Like I have a hard time not seeing Auburn or Kansas come out of that, or excuse me, Auburn or Kentucky come out of that side of the bracket. Arizona is probably going to come out of that side of the bracket. Uh, obviously, we're, we're hoping that Gonzaga is going to come out of their side of the bracket. If anybody, if it's not Gonzaga, I would expect that it's probably going to be Duke or Texas Tech on that side of the bracket. So I don't think that we're going to see a Final Four with like, you know, three, you know, like a four seed, a six seed, and an 11 seed. Like, I don't think that it's going to be that level of parity. It rarely is in, to begin with anyway, but I, I don't think it's going to be that crazy. But I don't, it's not as clear cut. Last year, everybody and their mother thought it was going to be Gonzaga and Baylor in the championship game, and it turned out they were all right. This year, it's probably not going to be that cut and dry. A lot of people have Gonzaga, Arizona. It would be really fun if all those people were right. A little bit nerve-wracking for us Gonzaga fans to, to have to deal with that uh, experience with the Mark Fevers tommy Lloyd matchup. But I do think that there's a lot of good middle-ish teams, teams like Alabama, who I mentioned, a team like Colorado State, who I think could make a very deep run as a six seed. St. Mary's is capable of making the run as a five seed. Tennessee is a three seed. And I think there's some vulnerable one or two seed teams, but I, I don't think it's going to be super parity filled either. It's just not going to quite be chalk. Next question comes from Jake at Jake underscore 45 underscore on Twitter who says, there hasn't been two Catholic schools in the championship game since Villanova and Georgetown squared off in 1985. Do you think we'll see two Catholic schools in the championship game sooner rather than later? Well, there's a decent chance this year. Uh, Villanova is a two-seed on the other side of the bracket, so they could take make a deep run, end up playing against Gonzaga as a Gonzaga-Villanova bracket is, I think, one that we'll see quite a few people fill out this year. That would be extremely fun. I, I also would very much like that as a Gonzaga fan because I, I think the Zags match up very well with Villanova. I'm not a believer that Nova's got it in them to make a deep enough run to be in the national championship game. They would have to beat Arizona and one of Auburn or Kentucky, and I just don't think that that's going to happen. Uh, the Big East is obviously improving, and I think as the Big East gets better, teams like you know, Villanova is always a contender for something like this. I think you're going to continue to see, you know, I don't know that Providence is a super real contender, even though they're a number four seed this year. UConn's a five seed. I think there's a chance that we'll see some more of those, the Big East schools. And obviously some of the Catholic schools make some runs here, but it's going to be rare. This is still a power five dominated sport as much as, you know, Gonzaga has, has pushed them in that regard as much as Villanova has pushed them in that regard. Uh, it's still a Power 5 dominated school, and it's really, really tough. Uh, obviously, 1985 is a long time ago. It's pretty tough for this to happen. Hopefully, it happens sooner rather than later because it would mean that some smaller schools are making deep runs, and that's always fun. Next question, final one of the segment, comes from Larry via Gmail. Larry says, you mentioned Chet was frustrated in the St. Mary's game. The lack of production looked very much like tired to me. He had no spring in his step. He didn't seem to have his legs under him. He was shooting poorly. He even looked average on his shot blocking attempts. All signs of a long season catching up to a freshman. Do you see that in him? And if so, can he recover and get his energy level back up to where it's going to be needed in the games ahead? 
Uh, yes and yes. <laughs> the simple answer to that question. I think you're absolutely right that there was some fatigue going on. The conference tournaments are tiring. Yes, Gonzaga did not have to go through a gauntlet the way that lower-seeded teams had to do. They only had to play two games much, much easier. But those were two really tiring games. San Francisco wore them down pretty good. And St. Mary's, they played them twice in an 11-day span. That is a tough team to go up against. They are relentless defensively. Matthias Toss is a big, strong, muscular dude who pushed Chet Holmgren around a lot in both of these games. And yeah, college basketball seasons are longer and harder than high school seasons. I think Chet Holmgren was tired. I think he was frustrated because he wasn't playing well, and I think he wasn't playing well because he was tired. Having said that, he's had a very long break. I don't think that he he's he's in very good shape. He's an extremely hardworking kid. I don't think that this fatigue is going to carry over in, in a way that's going to be so detrimental to his ability to contribute once once the tournament gets rolling. I think there's going to be such an amount of energy, of hype, of just, just fight or flight mentality going on in your brain that I, I don't think that he's going to even notice the fatigue. I think... There's a chance that, you know, the, the fourth game of the tournament, you know, when you've, you know, the, obviously like the Gonzaga-UCLA game, everybody was gassed in that game because it was just such an exhausting game. And then they came out flat against Baylor. I'm not blaming the UCLA game for why they lost to Baylor. They got outcoached and just outplayed against Baylor. But fatigue probably played a small factor. And those are the kind of things that Gonzaga is going to need to find a ways to prevent that depth. This is why depth is so important. This is why the talks about Anton Watson emerging and playing better the last few games of the regular season are critical because Gonzaga is going to need him in the NCAA tournament to spell guys like Drew Timmy, to spell guys like Chet Holmgren, to give them a little bit of a break so that they don't have to be at their absolute max in the final game of the regular season. All right. Two segments down. Coming up, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions in the final segment of the show. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Bet Online. There might be less football being played, but BetOnline.net has way more stuff to bet on this playoff season. From scores, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all things NFL betting in 2022. And it's not just football. BetOnline.net's basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC odds coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports and play your favorite games. All right, segment three, still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, still answering listeners' submitted questions for Mailbag Monday. This first question comes from Christian. Christian says, please break down the Lady Zags first round opponent. Happily, the Lady Zags got a fairly rough draw. They are a nine seed. They're playing eight seeded Nebraska in the first round in Louisville. If they win against Nebraska, they will play the number one seed, Louisville. That is a bummer. We've seen this happen before on the women's side where they put teams geographically in, in spots that make sense. There's less concern about the fairness of it all, I suppose, Gonzaga has made numerous runs while they played as an 11 seed in Spokane, which I imagine the other teams were not super thrilled to be a 6 seed playing an 11 seed in the 11 seed's home arena. I can imagine that probably didn't go over particularly well. That is going to be the case here, at least for Gonzaga. If you're a 9 seed and you're the lowest seed out of the, the teams there, you, you don't have a whole lot of an argument there necessarily. Um even to get to Louisville, they're going to have to get through Nebraska. Nebraska is a good team. They finished sixth in the Big Ten. They had an overall record of 24-8. and eight. Their superstar player is Jazz Shelley. 
Shelly is averaging 13.6.5 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals per game. I don't think there are a lot of people out there who play college women's basketball fantasy fantasy basketball, but if you do, somebody who averages 13, 6.5, 5, and 2 is probably going to be pretty dang high on your list. She is stuffing the stat sheet in an incredible way. She's going to be a big problem for the Zags. Obviously, Gonzaga is going to rely heavily on the Tron Twins as well as Melody Kempton, who's been playing fantastic ball as of late. It's going to be a good matchup. I think it's going to be a lot of Nebraska fans out there. Uh, hopefully, the Zags can secure themselves a victory. Coach Fortier has has struggled to win games in the NCAA tournament. This would be a great opportunity to secure at least one. Uh, I'm not holding my breath for an upset win over Louisville. That would be a tremendous program-altering accomplishment for this team if they were able to do so. But I will settle quite happily for this team winning the WCC tournament, getting themselves a nine seed, securing a first-round victory at the NCAA tournament. That is a monstrously good season for Coach Fortier. So hopefully that will be the case when that game rolls around. Next question comes from Chuck via Gmail. Chuck says, I noticed there was an open scholarship to begin the season, so I wondered, is it common for a top-tier program to have open scholarships? Is it because they couldn't get a transfer to come in or because they thought it would be better to have an extra slot for next year? And would they ever remove a scholarship from a player like Arlauskas because he did not turn out as expected? Uh, so open scholarships is not super rare at all. Uh, it could be because they're hoping to see if somebody else will come onto campus. Uh, in this case specifically, uh, they used it to award it to a walk-on partway through the year. Uh, this was used for Matthew Lang. Matthew Lang was given a scholarship partway through the season, so he did not have to pay for the second half of the year. This is something Gonzaga has done numerous times before. Mike Hart was awarded a walk-on, or was awarded a scholarship. David Stockton was awarded a scholarship. Matthew Lang, this is now the second time that he has been awarded a scholarship. So this is pretty common. I don't know that there's a specific reason they do it other than they don't have somebody specifically for that spot, so they leave it open, and then they give it to somebody who is on the team but not on scholarship. Uh, in terms of removing a player from scholarship, there's not a chance in hell that they would ever do that. I think it would send a horrific message to the player, to the rest of the players on the team, and beyond that, any other <laughs> recruits. If Gonzaga were to remove Martinez Orlowskis from scholarship, your international recruiting would plummet. Because players, you know, who who you know who know Martinez Orlowskis, who are friends with Martinez Orlowskis, or just who communicate with the coaching staff, would know that they did that. Would know that this kid got hung out to dry and had to was basically forced to transfer, forced to head back home because he couldn't pay for school. This would be a terrible idea. I'm not sure if schools are even allowed to do it, barring obviously a. a violation of this team's policies. If somebody on the team were to, to break rules in a significant way, do something that damaged the reputation of the Gonzaga basketball program, then yeah, they would remove them from scholarship like that. But for simply for performance-based stuff, it would be a very, very bad precedent for Gonzaga or any school to set to take players off of scholarship simply for performance-based reasons. Next question comes from Paul via Twitter DM. Paul says, we college basketball junkies get overexposed to the same batch of talking heads, particularly on television during March Madness. Some are more entertaining than others. Others are purely contrarian. Based on any objective analysis or personal opinion, who among them have better predictive ability and who are best ignored? So I gotta be honest, I don't pay that much attention to this. I know who all the talking heads are, and I know their kind of general thoughts on Gonzaga, and some of them are... are you can tell our, our haters of Gonzaga, some of them are much more proponents of the program. That's something I'm generally pretty aware of. In terms of how good they are at predicting what's going to happen, 
I really don't pay a lot of attention to that. I'll give thoughts on a few guys. Seth Davis is is kind of a blowhard. I think that's a that's the mentality that he cultivates. That's who he attempts to be on Twitter. He's also pretty smart, and he seems to like the Zags a lot, so I don't really mind him all that much. Seth Greenberg is not a guy I like all that much. He seems to be an anti-Gonzaga guy. He he always talks about how teams with athleticism will beat them and challenges the WCC and has seemed to not move off of that opinion for the last 8, 10, 15, 20 years. Um, so he's one that I tend to not take all that seriously. John Rothstein is very obnoxious in his personality, but again, that is intentional and kind of who he has cultivated himself to be. If you get past that and listen to his actual analysis, it's pretty good. The TNT crew who do Gonzaga, or who do college basketball games, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, uh, Ernie Johnson, uh, I find that pretty obnoxious because they don't watch college basketball, so they don't have a lot of insight into what's going on. They can watch a game and at halftime talk about what's happening that game, but without the context of, of knowing more about the team and their past, it kind of falls flat for me, so I don't particularly like when that happens. I'm much more of a fan of local guys who are more familiar with the teams that they're talking about. Roxy Bernstein, Sean Farnham, Dave Pash, guys who kind of follow. Obviously, those are West Coast guys because that's more of the games that I watch. But people who are pretty familiar with the teams that they, they watch are more guys that I tend to listen to because I think they have more insight. Just because of exposure, national guys can't watch every team more than a handful of times. So they just are, are limited in their exposure to each team. And the final question of the show comes from Chuck. Chuck says, I'm not familiar with all the rules regarding recruiting or transfers, but would like to know for a program like Gonzaga, the percentage of players that the team goes after versus the ones who reach out to Gonzaga. So for transfers specifically, if a player enters the transfer portal, once they are in the transfer portal, teams can reach out to them. That's kind of how it works. So Gonzaga casts a wide net. They reach out to a large group of players. The amount of players that they reach out to who they don't actually offer a spot on the team is probably huge. I think Gonzaga talks to a bunch of dudes. <laughs> we, we hear rumors all the time of like, oh, Gonzaga reached out to so-and-so. I know they just reached out to a UNLV grad transfer that I would be fairly surprised if they offer him a spot on next year's roster, but it does not hurt to reach out to get a sense of you know how healthy the kid is, where he's at, um, wh- whether he would take a reduced role, all of those things. So I think Gonzaga ends up making contact with a lot of players on the transfer portal, but doesn't actually bring a lot of them in. I don't think players reach out to Gonzaga. That's just not how it worked on the transfer portal. With recruiting, it's pretty similar. You know, Ben Gregg was a good example of this. Ben Gregg wanted to go to Gonzaga forever. He's made this very clear. He grew up a Gonzaga fan. There's pictures of him on Twitter, like as a six-year-old kid going to Gonzaga games. Uh, And Gonzaga did not offer him until Paolo Bancaro committed to Duke. And then they turned around and offered Ben Gregg a scholarship. And he pretty much accepted, not immediately, but very soon afterwards. He may have been attempting to reach out to Gonzaga. He may have made some contact with them. But that process kind of works It only really goes one direction. You wait for the school to reach out to you, they show interest in you, and then you kind of go from there. That's my understanding of it. Obviously, we're never going to get a full 100% picture of everything that's going on behind the scenes, uh, but I generally assume that the teams do the most of the initial reaching out for both recruiting and transfers. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Folks, we got a pair of awesome guests coming on the show this week. I'm super excited. Two really, really good guests. Going to be some really, really good insight into uh, college basketball. In general, I don't want to give away too much, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Of course, we also got previews of the NCAA tournament games coming up right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check it out on YouTube if you have not already. Thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Now is a great time to make your second listen the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. All right. Thank you all for listening and go Zags.